you spent so much time on Hurtado Island, you forgot all about Kakuta Mane Island. It's That's So MLS, the North American Soccer Podcast with me. As always, is my host, Andrew Bates. What's going on? Oh, and I'm Nick. Nick? I was just so eager to introduce you, forgot about myself. Nick, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Uh, I've been doing okay. Uh, I have been following uh, the the furor online about whether or not the league is going to get a trophy. Um, I have. Was there any upheaval over that? I thought <laughs> everyone was pretty ch- I, pretty chill, neutral opinions. One of the things the that I've field. learned about uh, decisions made by supporters groups is that they're almost always non-controversial and everybody whenever one is announced everybody sort of nods their heads and goes right yes. <laughs> that's definitely how it plays out. <laughs> so the timeline on this like it's, so uh, was this, it was early this week or was it last year I can't remember uh, um, are they the same thing <laughs> a little bit uh, walk six... me through the timeline of this again because I like I sort of I saw I saw the initial announcement, and then I kind of tuned in and out a little bit. But, like, what what the hell happened with the Supporters' Shield, first of If all? you can believe it, uh, it's been six days, I'm pretty sure. Uh, in, okay. in that period of six days, um, essentially, the Supporters' Shield Foundation, uh, I'm, I'm doing my best to not go all the way back to 97 to explain what the Supporters' Shield is. <laughs> In the Supporters Shield Foundation, um, we could we could get into that later. But suffice it to say that a five member panel that is li- essentially uh, an offshoot of the Independent Supporters Council of North America um, made a decision uh, to not award the Supporters Shield, which is the trophy mm-hmm. that goes to um, the team that finishes first in the regular season in MLS. Um, why would they have the ability? If, if you're, uh, if this is something that, like, I think a lot of people that they just assumed that it was a name or whatever, uh, why would such a group have the right to do that? Well, MLS in founding in 1996 uh, didn't want, didn't have a, a regular season trophy and didn't want one and didn't care to fund one. Um, so supporters who are used to such a trophy existing in England and other leagues, and, and that trophy being like the championship trophy, um, mm-hmm. essentially in 97 it was proposed and it was fundraised for and it was awarded in 1999. Um, and in, I know I said I wasn't going to do the whole thing, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, in in 2012, the Supporters Shield Foundation was formed out of the ISC and out of which is essentially an umbrella group that represents supporter shield su- supporters groups uh, of MLS teams in non MLS North American teams. Um, mm. Out of the annual meetings that used to take place on um, the weekend that MLS Cup is awarded, the Supporters Summit. Uh, back when, uh, back when it was a neutral site final, so everybody, supporter, uh, supporters groups from every team could kind of go to the MLS Cup because they all know when and where it would be. Um, out of those meetings, they decided to fundraise for 
the new trophy that you see today, and it was fundraised through a scarf sale. And the fundraising process it was essentially um, awarded, was essentially handled by this society. And the society okay. is ran by a board of five people that are elected annually from the ISC. So they made an announcement on Twitter that they were not going to, that they, after much consideration and discussion, they've decided to forego awarding the Supporter Shield for the 2020 season with the inability of supporters being attended to fill their stadiums with passion forever. We, However, we feel as though this current climate goes against the spirit of the Shield. Um, in addition to the absence of supporters for stands for most but not all teams, um, it was also by ISC people and by the Supporters Shield Foundation on Twitter mentioned um, that the schedule has been very weird. Uh, that part of it was also the fact that the schedule had been very weird this year um, mm-hmm. with some teams playing. I think I saw somebody say some teams have played as as few as eight other MLS sides. Mm-hmm. Um, the the couple that I ran the numbers for were around like 12 to 14. There are 25. Um, and, or 26. How many MLS teams are there? 26. Well, and like, not trying to be funny about it, but like, how many teams has Colorado played? Having missed six games. Exactly. So, essentially, um, this is a decision that came out of that, uh, that came out of that group. And I think that it has to be said that basically nobody knew that it was coming, including ISC people that were um, basically that that were plugged into the teams themselves. And certainly, um, I would say that there was some wide opposition from this from supporters, but also from players who wanted a trophy and had been through some some bad. Had been through a really rough year, and you had. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I had um, certainly of all of the the fan bases, uh, TFC, who is several points. Uh, who what where, where do they sit currently? Um, they they were and are several points uh, 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 away at the top of the table, at the top of the the combined regular season table. Um, yeah, I thought at one point it was a seven-point lead, but I think it's more like four now or three. I think that makes. I think that's accurate. Yes, um, they uh, they felt very aggrieved about this, but it's not just them. Uh, Col- you know, uh, Seattle fans didn't didn't like it. Columbus fans didn't like it. Um, the the Greg Vanny quote was. Um, My players are pissed. It is a huge sign of disrespect to the players. It has been. Arguably the most difficult season in the history of the league. Um, this season has required a huge commitment from all teams. People were generally afraid of their self, uh, f- afraid for their health. I skipped some. I skipped. Uh, I'm kind of doing it a British version. It was a disgraceful decision that delegitimizes the whole idea of the shield. In our opinion, those who made the decision are like kids at a park who take the ball away when the game isn't going their way. Um, it is a childish symbol that they don't know how sports operates. Um, strong words and. Four days ago, the supporters foundation made the announcement that they are that they were reviewing the decision. 
My understanding is that a one team... <laughs> Did it get VARD? It got VARD. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they announced that the Shield was not going to be announced, and then they got sort of a call into their... Who's up in the booth? They got a Who's call in, in the their ear. A clear and obvious error. <laughs> it was a clear and obvious error. Oh, my God. That's... That's oh. the that's that's the headline. That's obviously the headline to me. Um, that show MLS. See, this is one of those things where, as I'll get to, I do kind of there there is a part of this that is MLS being wacky, but this is actually one of those situations where MLS has little to nothing to do with how this is all played out. Um, yeah, it's true. But uh, my understanding through seeing people's uh, accounts, including Morgan underscore Hughes, the, uh, a prominent Columbus Crew supporter, is that a, a one team, one vote supporters vote took place this evening. Mm. Uh, and as we talk, it has officially been announced, but they have voted to award the shield. Um, right. After much of this gnashing of teeth. Um, so what is your thoughts on how this process has, uh, has, uh, uh, on the process and also where it ended up? I, I mean, I think calling it a process is maybe <laughs> a little bit overly generous because it didn't seem like there was a process in place before and then somehow a decision got made. And so, I, I mean, that's the part that kind of, I fixated on more of just like how this decision was, uh, how the decision was, had been come to. Um, but also the, the timing of it did seem weird. I mean, the announcement itself, I was just like, yeah, okay. Makes sense. Sure. Like the reasons made logical sense anyway. And then I didn't really think that much more of it. And then everything blew up and people were very upset. And I was like, when I mean less so Greg Vanny's comments but certainly there was a lot of arguments for why it should be awarded and I thought those made sense as well so I feel kind of for once in my life I'm sort of in the middle where I'm just like is I don't know if it's just that I don't care because the team I support is never going to win (laughs) (laughs) not just this year but any year but but like I I get it I get where I, I mean the, the comments around what players have sacrificed uh, is absolutely true. I, I don't know that the supporter shield is necessarily the answer to that, but it did seem kind of strange to me that like there was no consultation or I mean, maybe no real thought put into like how players would feel about this. Um, I mean, I guess at the end of the day, if they had decided to not give it, I would have been fine with that, and I'm very fine with them giving it. But the the timing of it was weird. This decision should have been made before MLS is back. Um, there was quite a lot of lead time before that tournament, and I think that would have been a more appropriate time to make a decision either way, to say, look, the MLS back is tr- trophy is, go- is going to be a, a new thing, and there might be a season after that, but we've decided it's just a real weird year. Maybe all we'll have is this situation down down in Orlando, and we'll just not do the Supporters' Shield this year. And I think people probably would have been fine with it at that point, because nobody had played games in so long. We had no idea if anything else was going to happen. And, and maybe that's part of the reason why they delayed making a decision. But with... Like, we're almost at decision day. Yeah. That, to me, is, like, that's the weak part of the move where I'm like, 
at this point, just you might as well just have said nothing and just given it as usual because you've waited so long to make a decision. Just do what you usually do. Uh, it seems weird to me to get it so down to the wire and then be like, oh, okay, well, like, what's the criteria that needs to be met in terms of a season for the shield to be awarded? Clearly, we didn't really know that. So it feels weird to change the criteria as the season is ending, but I, I that is still sounding stronger than I actually feel about it. <laughs> I'm sort of just... It's, it's a, a conglomeration of things that I've heard where at the end of the day I'm like, are you giving it or not? You are? Okay, great. Uh, no? Sure. Whatever. I definitely, I think, started stronger on this, and, and I think that the process, regardless of... I think, and I'll I'll talk about this more in a second, but I think it the decision to do it really appealed to something that had been bothering me a lot about this MLS season. Um, right. Yeah. So, it, so I I you know in short I vibed with it. I was like, this is this is like like and and I felt strongly about it, but. Ultimately, the decision... What was your main point of contention well, again? Me, I don't know that we actually talked about this much. Let on me here. just start... Let me just... Just just a little bit, sort of... Uh, I have a quote based on what you said. I think that, like, the... The process of doing it was so flawed, and you're absolutely right. And this is something we get on MLS for all the time, changing rules mid-season. It should have been mm-hmm. mid-campaign. The idea, at that time, we weren't even sure MLS was... Well, they did say they were going to try and mount a season after MLS is back. Um, mm. But the idea of that happening was so far-fetched. Um, the mm-hmm. Cascadia Cup made basically the same announcement for basically the same purposes in August, which was the right time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, the stakes of the Cascadia Cup are much lower. Um I have this great quote that um, Hughes posted on Twitter with Columbus Crew historian Steve Sirk, who is there um, in in 98. Uh, hmm. It was important to remember that the Shield was created for an imperfect environment. MLS had an unbalanced schedule as always, plus the league used shootouts to decide tie games. At the Supporters Summit in 98, there were suggestions to create a separate win-draw-loss table for the Shield or to count only the first home game against each team for a true round robin. Probably other stuff too that I'm forgetting. But in the end, after all those other options were considered, it was decided that the Shield would reflect the competitive environment for each specific season. Whatever schedule, rules, and tiebreakers the players and teams played under, those would be used for the Shield. It took all supporter subjectivity out of it. MLS designed the competition each season. The supporter's role was to create the Shield, award it to their winning supporters the winning team each year and promote it there were no purity tests i'm not sure how or when the idea was hatched abandon these founding principles but they are worth remembering in the, this missed up year in season the shield should absolutely be awarded supporters of all the other teams can argue with the winners about the legitimacy for decades to come that's half the fun but mls had a season a team will finish number one under the schedule rules and tiebreakers mls established just like every year since the shield's creation the shield should be awarded as intended yeah. I think that is a very cogent explanation of, I think, why it would occur to somebody to do this in the first place. <laughs> because yeah. we're all nerds that think about this stuff all the time. 
that well, are... Well, and, and that's kind of my sense, like, to, to be, to give, you know, a, a little bit of generosity to the, the original folks that made the, the first decision, is that I know that they're soccer nerds who, you know, were splitting hairs about particular things and the schedule being unbalanced and came to a conclusion based on that and probably forgot that there's a enormous number of people who might have a differing opinion um, or or might want something different, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I guess the unfortunate thing for me out of this whole thing is it just unnecessarily sours uh, the relationship between the supporters groups and the players a little bit. I mean, I don't think it's going to be any major lasting damage, but it was just sort of an unnecessary, like, tense thing to have happen um, after a really rough year on everyone. And that's where definitely some more consideration could have been taken. But at the end of the day, I still feel like, I mean, this matters so little <laughs> in, in just in the grand scheme of things. Um, <laughs> I guess part of that too is me just being like, like, if it wasn't awarded, we'd still all be like, well, Toronto was the best team this year, even though everything was unbalanced. You cannot honestly say to me, if Toronto had just played more games and played more different teams, they wouldn't have won so many games. Like, they st they'd still be where they Toronto are. Toronto may so still lose. Like, why not just not call it. it the Toronto FC Supporter <laughs> Shield? <laughs> I joked because Toronto Toronto's schedule will only see them play, I believe, 13 in the 26, of the 26 teams. 25 other right. teams uh, that they should call it the half of the league cup. Um, <laughs> I, I will admit I feel sheepish now cause I kind of got mad about this online. This is, this is, this is, <laughs> this is where I got in a dramatic role reversal. Uh, <laughs> I held my tongue and you just went for the jugular. I fucking went for it. I, I, I think that like, like I said, I think that I was reacting to how strongly people were reacting, like, like how strongly against the decision people were. And also, like, this has been messed up. It's one thing for people to say that MLS is, uh, the MLS schedule was always unbalanced. Last year it was unbalanced. This year the proposed mm -hmm. schedule before COVID did have a schedule where every team would not meet every other team in the league for the, for the first time in a while. Um, but I think like we actually had this, we actually did talk about it last, before it ever became an issue last, the, in the last episode where we talked about the Cascadia cup. I'm like, well, if they're not going to award that Cascadia cup, why are they awarding the supporter shield? And, yeah. and, and to me, the only reason why it was so, it resonated so strongly it's because I have been watching it every week, but this has mm -hmm. been upsetting. Like the fact that they have been playing games and in the Rapids have had the the Rapids first the first Dallas and in Nashville had to drop out mm -hmm. of the tournament, and then the Rapids had to drop out because players have COVID tests that might affect them for the rest of their lives um, from a medical perspective. Um, yeah. The, the fact that the games are taking place with weird, ghostly, piped-in supporters chant, like like recordings of years past to to justify. If you're talking about Houston, those were actual fans. <laughs> <in the studio. laughs> no, no, no. Just 
That's just their ghostly. It's it, it has felt like like seeing things like hearing Southsiders chants piped into Whitecaps home games at Providence Park is something that we've all got used to, but is like on a deep level, like very upsetting to me. Um, and I was honestly that I was upset by Greg Vanny's comments that assumed that there was almost a part of me that thought if supporters are not there, why does anybody think that they are entitled to the supporter shield? But you know, if you take supporter, this trophy existed because people had to make it because they cared so much about what, what was happening on the field. Mm -hmm. I, Mm -hmm. that sense resonated with me strongly, but I think that if you look at the bylaws of the supporter shield foundation, it's not, it's not a sports, it's not a sports commissioning body. It's copy and pasted bylaws so that they could legally raise and control money. Um, mm-hmm. and the, the strength that MLS, the strength of the community, the MLS supporters in, in North America soccer supporters have had is based on having these big meetings where, where things are hashed out collectively, the strength and, and excitement of what used to be the, the supporter summit and, and, uh, and, and what still persists through the ISC is in, in what supporters can independent supporters can create is truly special. And I think mm-hmm. that you have to look at this and say that this was not done in that spirit with everybody's, um, with everybody say so. I, there was a lot that there's a lot about, you know, we can say to ourselves that they shouldn't have played the season. And it doesn't mm-hmm. really mean, but they did it anyway, and we all still watched. So this yeah. this kind of felt to me like a way of of actually registering the vote of they shouldn't have played the season. But it was the wrong move, and the right move is to restore it. So I kind of feel sheepish now because I got really passionate about it but at the same time it's all any any positive argument that i could think of came with the sort of and a real or imagined theoretical version of the decision not the actual decision that happened and not in the way that it happened yeah which is fair well that being said i'm excited for philadelphia to win it now (laughs) They're only three points behind Toronto. Just imagine, after all of that, the huff and puff in Toronto will not win it. Toronto could not win it. I don't know. Honestly, after after seeing that quote, after seeing the quote from Steve Sirk, I'm that's absolutely right. Like, I also, the part of me that's mad about MLS is mad that MLS decided to put on such a lopsided season. And, and yeah. mm, lopsided is the wrong word. Any, a, a very well-organized season in the pandemic would also have been wrong. <laughs> it's yeah. it's not just that it is it's not just that it's lopsided it is that you there is a part of me 
that this represents my feelings about how MLS has handled the season, my feelings about how MLS over several seasons has handled unbalanced schedules and mm-hmm. and everything. But ultimately, that quote is right. The the league decides who wins, and the support yeah, the criteria <laughs> is it goes to the team with the most points at the end of the season, then th- there, w- there will definitely be a winner of that. I do think that not playing like 10, upwards of 10 of the teams is wonky, but at the same time... It is, but and but forevermore, whenever anybody's like, yeah, well, we won the Supporters' Shield in 2020, we can be like, yeah, but that was a messed <laughs> up year, so... It's really more of a Supporters' fork that year. I'm glad that we... In a, in a weird way, and I have no idea if other people will feel this way, but, like, I think that until this moment, a lot of people assumed that it was the the supporter's shield was just a name that was attached to the trophy um, in the mm-hmm. same way that, like, the president's trophy is the name of the... Like, I assumed that they just thought that this was a piece of marketing or something. And this actually yeah. was is one of the... the the few parts of an MLS presentation that's not marketing. It is a real thing yeah. based on actions that people had to do in order to bring into reality. Well, speaking of real things, there was also 30 games or so that <laughs> happened <laughs> in and among all that. Um, and we're obviously, we're not going to go through every single game, um, but we're going to just kind of go through some of the, the major highlights. And, I don't know how you feel, but overall, I feel like things are starting to, like, some teams are starting to separate themselves from the pack a little bit, right? Like, the teams that are excelling are continuing to excel for the most part, given the condensed schedule and the number of games. Everybody's still dropping points, but I really felt like the playoff picture started to emerge in a way that made a lot more sense this week to me about you know, who I think we're more likely to see over other teams, where it's just been a total toss-up to this point. I would agree with that. I think that there, there's definitely some, some games, especially over the last match day, where it's like... <laughs> Oddly, there are, some, there are some games that feel completely, like, playoff. Like, like the tone is completely mm. playoff-wise. And then there are some games where it feels like a team's form can vary wildly from match to match. Like... Like an LAFC, for like example? Like an LAFC, where you described them as being in the bad times, and they were in the bad times. And they were in the bad times all the way up until Vancouver beat them, and then they turned around and started getting results. Yeah. Uh, they got a big result. At, following the loss to Vancouver, they got a, a big result against Seattle. Um, Seattle being far and away a team that just seems to have weathered most of the storm this season, um, but noticeably still struggling at points um, and struggling against teams that you you have to imagine they will be facing in the playoffs and will really need to, to perform strongly against. But this game seemed to be mostly LAFC, no? It, went, it actually went Seattle-Vancouver-Portland, if you can believe it. <laughs> they, they beat the best team in the conference, lost to us. And then way not, I got a, a point. I definitely agree with that. I think that it is, a, this was a game where essentially, oh, I had it written down. They, LAFC took all the chances that they had uh, available to them. 
And Seattle seemed to, in this particular one, hit like an in, invisible pane of glass on the goal line. Where they've, they yeah. had chances, but, you know, whether it was a great defensive performance that kept them from going in, whether it was the crossbar or what have you, they just didn't, uh, they didn't collect any more than the uh, one goal, the, the free kick goal from Ladero that they got. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, uh, one of the things that I've been impressed about um, about LAFC while they've been losing um, up until this game is that, and it's very much what you would expect from Bob Bob Bradley is that regardless of the personnel, the system is set up more is set up the same way. The style of play really doesn't change all that much. Even if the players, you know, the personnel being tasked to do the the jobs aren't necessarily the right people um, or it doesn't come off, it's nice to see a team not mess with the thing that makes them good. And I, <laughs> I, I do think it's better to lose at the thing you're good, like, that you're good at. And LAFC always seems to struggle against teams that play uh, very much like them. Yeah. Um, which is, I think, why... It's no surprise that Mark Dos Santos has had their number twice and we're able to beat them um, because when we play exactly the same style as them, um, it, it can kind of fluster them. But Lucas Cavallini I, I, scoring I really belters left... of goals in that 2-1 what? game definitely helped. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Seattle is just really kind of stalled all of a sudden. Um, cause they, they had this loss and then they also drew nil nil with San Jose later in the week, right? Yeah. That was one, uh, I went to load up the, when I didn't know the scoreline, I went to load up the highlights of it and the top comments on that match on YouTube, the top comment on the YouTube <laughs> said, this could have been condensed to two minutes and we wouldn't have miss, missed anything, <laughs> which lets you know how, yeah. uh, what a, what a, what a, a, a huge contest it was. And I also just want to say about the Portland LAFC game, there were a lot of draws at MLS this week that were not that because LA came back to tie through Kubo Torres in, uh, in stoppage time. Yeah. It was seven by my number, uh, seven 90 Wait, plus Kubo. minute goals. Kubo Torres. He plays for Atlanta. Oh, I saw C Torres. And my brain, my brain filled in the. Oh, Christian Torres. That was a. That's a. That's a. That's a howler on my part. <laughs> so I was like, "When did this trade happen?" No, no, no. Uh, he was a substitute in the 75th minute for Bradley Ray Phillips. So I just saw C Torres, and I was like, "MLS name, <laughs> MLS name selector, go." Uh, yeah, that's uh, what we do here. <laughs> Um, one of the thi- one of the storylines that's kind of emerged for me, or themes, I suppose, over the last couple of weeks, is is really with just the sheer number of games. There's been an awful lot of just wide open games where there's probably thirty minutes of like controlled, good, uniform soccer, and then it's a little like you just see really heavy legs, and it it's. It's end-to-end soccer, but it's not <laughs> not necessarily at, like, a blistering pace or an exciting thing. It's just that it's almost like teams, like, they attack, and then they're like, all right, okay, you guys go now. It's your turn. You come at us. We're just going to hang back a little bit. <laughs> and, and, sh- and sort of trading jabs that way. 
which makes a lot of sense uh, and not to to go back down the rabbit hole of uh, like what this season is but it it really is starting to show and take its toll on teams and and it's unfortunate because you're seeing a huge number of injuries piling up for teams and I think what we're going to end up seeing is a, a number of teams that do make it into the playoffs but are so decimated because they've had to use every single player in their roster to get there and have lost five or six of them to injury that all the work they've done to get into the playoffs, they may not have the personnel to actually get them far in it. So that for me is something I'm going to be paying more attention to is, you know, when we consider results in the playoffs, do these teams actually have their their full lineups and, and what are they able to do? Now, of course, it has affected every team. I don't think there's many teams that haven't had major spells with injuries, but you definitely saw just some real, real tired legs in the last week. I had, I'm i not currently uh, familiar with the scheduling around the playoffs, but if they could in any way set up like a week break between the end of the regular season and the beginning of the playoffs, yeah. if if for some, because they're starting the playoffs, I think in November, in September, in, in, in maybe in November. So it's like, if they could in any way structure that or they could still uh, give out the MLS Cup in the first week of December, but but maybe cut down on on one game every four days, mm-hmm. that would really benefit, I think, everybody involved. Well, and I mean, as much as we're very – it's nice to have soccer to talk about and to watch – I mean, just the logistics uh, (laughs) of trying to do this show for the sheer number of games in such a short period of time, it's, it's almost like it, you know, if you missed what happened on Wednesday, well, don't worry about it because the results could be completely reversed by the game on Saturday, which would then again be canceled out by the game the following Wednesday or Thursday. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's a lot. And it makes it really hard to, at this point, assess quite where a team is at. Like for me, you know, Montreal has had a string of really disappointing results. Games where they're scoring goals, but just incredibly leaky. Yes. Um, and overall, I still think Montreal is way ahead of where they were last season, and I think look like a much better side. But, you know, a number of coaches have mentioned the difficulty of getting practice time in with their teams and, and really having, like, large amounts of concentrated te- team time to work on certain things. So you're, you know, you're flying into the next place and coming up with a game plan, but for a lot of it you're you're kind of just talking about it and hoping it comes off. Mm. Um but Montreal did get uh their in their most recent game against Miami, they had a good result and some big points came up for them. That's absolutely right. Uh oh, I thought that for some reason I thought that Clement Diop, well Clement Diop I think went to France and came he was in the squad, or I don't know if he's I don't know if he's all the way back yet. But um, James Pantamis uh, played in this game, and it's like I actually don't think he did too bad. But there were some there were definitely some parts of it where it's like, oh no, um, we we shipped our one B goalkeeper to Vancouver, and a week later, Clement Diop had to to leave on a family emergency. Yeah, yeah, that was some pretty um, unfortunate timing for Montreal. But uh, um, but they pulled I, I it feel, out. I feel like, 
Yeah, Pentamus has been pretty good. I mean, the thing he's he's spilled a couple of shots that I think have re- like made the initial save, and then the rebound has gone in. But I mean, it, being put in that position all of a sudden, it, it's difficult. It takes a few games to to get that rhythm and really have sure hands. Um, and I mean, speaking of heavy legs, I, I really do feel like Montreal has improved their defensive tactics a lot. Yeah. But when you see tracking, you know, in their own box and guys getting across to the unmarked player, it, there's the awareness there. And it's like, oh, guy with the ball, I need to get over there. And just it's like the message from the, the head to the legs just takes a little bit too long and a team is able to score on them. So kind of unlucky first uh, game for Pentamus, but this was a, a great result. One of the things with, with Montreal that I think has been both encouraging and um also aggravating over the last year or two is that while they sometimes have that that challenge that you you pointed out of of how to work together and who's going to be in what position they have so many dangerous pieces and Bojan five minutes in has this 30 yard shot he just goes for it and it um I'm sure having played a little in goal yourself when you saw that ball skip off the, the turf five feet in front of John McCarthy. It's the, the worst. <laughs> it's nothing worse. I'd, I'd rather face a PK than a skipping ball that skips right in front of you because it just, especially on turf, you, you're like, just dive dramatically one way because <laughs> you've got so little chance of guessing right. Make it spectacular. And then the set, the, 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 Return goal from Miami also takes place outside of the area because the penalty area is lava in this game. Um, <laughs> as you know, you have Federico Iguain, you have Gonzalo Iguain, but who? Why but would then you, you got the money players? Why would you that need matter. him? Why would you need either of them when you have Breck Shea? Indeed, and this isn't his first goal in this game week. <laughs> Tremendous. Oh. He also had the um, the tying goal for uh, the Miami result. Atlanta Miami won one. He got one against his old team, um, and, and a nice little goal as well. But um, and then you know after there was a uh, Iguain had a goal saved off the line that I think might have been outside. Um, mm. This was not a part of the the highlights package, but something that bothered me about see if see if you can can make this right for me. This the the go ahead goal and and again uh, so dangerous some of the players that Montreal have um, Maxi Arudi and Boyan absolutely I think shame the defense of Miami um, was my first response then I mm-hmm. thought okay so the the ball is played into Boyan and he gets behind the line and flips it to Arudi but the Miami defenders have their hands up Arudi was extremely offside at the time of the pass to Bojan. And then Bojan, then when they ran ahead, um, he essentially like just stood where he was and the line moved up and then he was onside without really having to do anything. Like, mm-hmm. does that absolve you of, of, uh, of your past sins? So now when you get the pass from your uh, your uh, your teammate the the onside pass the pass for Boyan to Rudy was onside but 
and yeah. he wasn't in. An, but he was only in that position because he was in an offside position. Is that does is that anything, or is it only the? Uh, is that anything, or do we only <laughs> take, or do we only take into account the last pass in the play? Um. Okay, sorry. As you were talking, I'm like, just stretch it out a little bit, Bates, so I can pull up the highlight <laughs> to see exactly what happens. Okay, and I just perfectly landed on it. Yeah, okay. So I think what it is is like, yes, Irudi's in an offside position when the ball is played, but the ball is not obviously being played to him. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he's not directly involved in the play. So he can be offside, and it's... I think that's Boyan running in. Yes. Um, and because the ball is clearly going to him, like he makes the run, the player who's passing it to to him sees Boyan's run and clearly sends it down that line. I think it, had it been a cross in and it had been unclear who the target was or it was clear the target was a Rudy, then it's offside. But because as that ball goes to uh, Boyan, the defenders move back they pull Arudi onside, plus he's also tracking back. So it's the combination move of the defenders actually end up putting him onside a little bit, and Arudi obviously recognizes that he, he is in an offside position. But, the yeah, the tricky thing is basically if you're not involved in the play, then yeah, you can be offside. That makes sense. But I think the thing that sort of discourages that is that it's very hard to in most situations get yourself back on side in time and it basically means too that you cannot be involved in the play so for instance let's say um that ball goes through boyan's legs to a rudy then a rudy's offside like if he's right. in any way the target of that pass then he's offside but because it's very clear it's going to boyan because it's a straight ball down the line Rudy's not technically a part of the play. It's two steps. So it's like it's two steps, but if if like if it had been a a, a corner or something and Boyan had headed it had had met it with a header and at the time his head touched the ball Rudy was onside but he was still a part yeah. of the whole play that would have been different because essentially it's yeah. like one you're talking about more or less one phase versus two phases. Yeah, which for me is a little needlessly complicated. Like, <laughs> it's the offside if the rule. Attacking, if you're if you're the attacking team, you should probably just have all your players on side in your opponent's half. But for me, this one's a little bit easier because Arudi's just on the other side of the pitch. Like he's he's quite far away from Boyan. It's very clear the ball's not going to him, mm-hmm. and it's something that you'll see. You just don't usually see it in an attacking phase, but you see strikers in offside positions and the play isn't whistled offside because they're not in any way involved in the play. They're just, they're coming back from an offside position. So they're all right. That makes sense. Because in theory, then you need to blow the whistle anytime a striker is offside, which might just be because they're like pulling up their socks and trotting back. Which is definitely not how they're doing it in terms of like, they're letting the whole play go through and then uh, taking out the, magnifying glass post the yeah. post the play uh, that makes total sense and Rudy is somebody who has always I think been dangerous was dangerous when he played in the Western Conference and um, the 
Uh, I think that he is functioning much better in this version of an impact team than it has many different um, heads of the Hydra. Yeah. But uh, I, I think that that you... Um, I think him and Kyoto just <laughs> makes a really interesting pair. They have him and Kyoto and Lapalainen and Aconquo. It's too... It's out of the... Out of the Sneak this. I think Akonko is out injured, but yes. <laughs> but I mean, like, in general, how did they pull this one over on us? <laughs> and Boyan. Well, and, and that's why it's they're a team that's like, well, don't sleep on Montreal. Because as much as we were, when Tider left, we're like, oh, no, this is it. This is, that was their guy. To be like, well, they've steadily built a pretty deep squad. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have certainly lots of attacking options but it's good to to your point Rudy's done much better in Montreal and just seems I mean I'm judging by just his demeanor on the pitch but it looks like he's enjoying himself a lot more there than he has been on other teams where he's just sort of played the striker that sits up top and is waiting for the ball he's much more involved in the attacking phase of play which I like which is very good as we talk sort of about the the playoff atmosphere in some games. I really feel that uh, Columbus, New York was one of those. Oh, yes. This was a big game. Um, And for a Columbus side that hit a bit of a blip and started to cough up goals, this is one that I had kind of circled as well as like, okay, this will start to tell us something about these two teams and their, their fitness levels and their intentions because Columbus needs to refocus New York City has been pretty good, but a little bit wobbly as well. And so it was. I thought it was a great game, too. Not just a, a big result for Columbus, but overall a, a really good game. Yeah, I think so. That It's it's one of the ones where um, they not only were they able to um, get the lead, but they held it. And, and really with that, I guess it's a penalty late on, but they they did a great job of, of having the full team performance to... Um, to do that. This goal from Artur, um, where he picks yeah. the ball, like essentially, I think that he's the one that plays the ball into the area. And this pinball machine takes place where the ball is passed back and forth. And Zardes gets it essentially in an unplayable position, but is able to lay it off to, to Artur is like, yeah, was tremendous to me. And Arturo with a, a, a very striker's finish, which I love, I love to see as well from a defender. Um, and, well, just overall, the crew attack looked like kind of what it has looked like for most of the season, where, where it wobbled a little bit in recent weeks. It looked much better. But New York City just continues to punish themselves with just failure to clear their box. And something that they've been really strong at in the past, and certainly there's been lots of movement in the New York City FC back line, um, it, this just feels like such an avoidable goal against a team that <laughs> is, you know, a big Eastern Conference rival. Um, it, and I thought, again, New York City, I thought they played okay, but really were not switched on as early as they needed to be. Like, this is the kind of thing where it, this early in a game, you need your defenders to put a firm boot through that and, like, concede a corner if you need to. Like, <laughs> at this point in the game... I think it's always better that than allowing the box, allowing the ball to to drift into the middle of your box, um, without knowing who's there to clear. Which it. is also how the second goal happens. Yeah, 
with, uh, like, you look at it, and it goes past two defenders on its way to Pedro Santos. Yeah, yeah, on the Santos goal. It's, it's, and it, it's less like the defenders are in the right position, but just, <laughs> again, it's just sloppy clearances, and, and he picks it up, and to go down 2-0 on kind of unforced errors, uh, to me, is the kind of thing that, you would hope would be straightened out by now. And for your, for New York City, I think, is going to be really hard in the playoffs um, because this has been a theme for them this year. It's just, uh, just bad giveaways and sloppy performances from a very good team, which has meant that they've lost significantly more games. This is going to sound like I'm rewarding sloppiness here, but that's almost sort of the joy of, of playoff soccer. And, and the goal of playoff <laughs> soccer is to um, exploit... The mistakes that the good, that very good teams make uh, when they're there to do yeah. it. You know, Castellanos' goal. Um, he, I don't think he knows exactly where he is. He just stands up on the goal line with a ball in his slit and says, "All right." So one of those plays <laughs> where you can watch it a bunch of times and you still have the same sort of shrug your shoulders response, where you're like, All right. "It's a corner played in very close to the goalkeeper." Those are a nightmare to clear. It bounces around a little bit, and Castellanos just somehow scores. And you're like, all right, sure, that's a goal. And to to be fair in terms of uh, where we're dishing out criticism, we know Columbus on set plays, defending, that's been one of their weak spots, So, um, especially recently. So it, that continued the theme as well. And then you have the, for, for New York, they have Cheneau clean out a player. I... I have to think that he thinks he's outside of the area. There's no way to me that that's not a professional foul in terms of like, well, I'm just going to trip the guy. Uh, but yeah, there's nothing malicious about it. But it's it's it was nice to be like, well, that's a PK. <laughs> just we don't need to review that one. That that's yeah, well, you can't do. That. I gotta say though, this is it. This is an extra time. This is not one of. I am against the. Uh, the rebound PK. This yeah. is not one of the worst defenders because it's Zardes alone and it's not based on somebody charging in from the penalty line. But, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately... You want the play to be dead once it, like, hits the goalkeeper or a post or something. Yeah, it's like if it's if it's, yeah. if it's a save, it's a save. Um, You don't get to... It's like, hmm, if you... In in terms of whenever they talk about the legality of all of these trick penalties, it's like mm-hmm. once you kick the ball, the we're we're in motion. You know what I mean? Like the the you you don't get to sort of reposition or anything. Like you're you you don't or and I don't necessarily even think you get a second kick. Like I don't think that the taker gets to like tap it and then hit it, take a second kick. Um, but in any case, the, the point I'm trying to make is it should be like, this is not normal play. This is a, this is a, something that's drawn up for the sake of, uh, of penalizing a player. And once the, if, mm-hmm. if the shot is saved, the shot is saved. It's, I, I, I dislike the idea of continuing the play, um, well, but Zardes, the shot is saved if the goalkeeper covers it. That's true. But I think, but but if following that train of logic, which I don't disagree with in spirit, 
but that means if a goalkeeper saves it and they don't catch it and it goes out over the line, you wouldn't be able to afford a corner because that essentially you're calling the play dead when it hits the goalkeeper's gloves. I see what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, I'm not trying to build like a false equivalency, but I, I'm just trying to follow the like. You're right that you it know. should be called that. You're right. It's it, it's not against the it's against the run of play of the game, but I guess much like a free kick, it's like the play is dead, but the clock is still going. But once the ball is played, the game is back on as normal. So whatever ha- happens after a free kick, all the same rules apply, and, and they do as well to a penalty, which is weird. I mean. I think really maybe what you're trying to say is like it's it makes it very difficult for the goalkeeper like yes. you have such little chance really to to make the first save and then to also then make the second save if everybody's allowed to suddenly rush at you it's kind of like well sure like why not just give them an automatic goal um yeah but that being said a penalty is meant to slightly advantage the team that got the penalty called against <laughs> i guess for them so. and and also to my I, point about to my point about wanting to uh, about about Columbus doing like really doing their best to capitalize on opportunities that are given to them this is a great example of Zardes absolutely saying even though you saved it I am this is going in that's what's happening <laughs> yeah no matter what you do this will be a goal for me. <laughs> Um, New York, the other one, uh, New York Red Bulls played, uh, Orlando. Um, that was less decisive. Um, but I dare say that the Red Bulls came off better. Yeah. I mean, they, I think they, they looked okay in this game. I mean, they looked better than they had in a long time. I think it was was it this result or the one before where Orlando clinched their playoff spot? So, um, you know, historic for Orlando. Had they never been in the playoffs or did I go before? Back too far? That seems that seems sad, but true. Um. Yeah, yeah. Orlando's clinched a playoff spot now. But I don't know. Again, I don't know if it was before this game or during this game. Right. Um. They look really good i mean like i would say that they have not been as buzzy as they were during the tournament um Mm -hmm. but everything there's when you're looking at the the clips from this game you obviously see why they were so favored and uh daryl dk looks so good it is is in that in that phase of mls rookiedom where it's like I think that, like, whether or not he successfully creates a goal is not as important as the fact that he is just, like, creating problems constantly. Yeah, and I I know he's a different position, but I feel like Larea is the same, right? Like, if Toronto's causing a problem, Richie Larea is usually not far behind that problem. (laughs) (laughs) When... Um, Yeah, and, and, I mean, it's... It's things like this where it's like, okay, well, it's maybe not the most notable draw in MLS history, but it's notable for Orlando because they've been a team that has really struggled to to rack up points in a season. Part of the reason why they are clinching a playoff spot is for once we've seen on Orlando's side that 
you know, they're not blowing teams away, and they've had some great wins, and they certainly looked good during the MLS's back tournament, but they have been able to rack up some draws, and they've been able to, for the most part, much improve their defense and concede a lot fewer goals. So that's meant that... And I really feel like that's outside of the Seattles and the Torontos and the LAFCs and maybe Portland a little bit, but the teams that have done really, really well this season where, you know, they've had their moments, but for the most part, they've done well. And then we've got this middle pack of teams that, you know, not all the things have clicked or they haven't necessarily clicked at the beginning, um, but they've stuck to a certain system that's now serving them well. So, um, you know, I think Orlando falls in that category in the West, or sorry, in the East, um, and then also Nashville, right? Like a team that just has steadily built on what the, what they started with, and which was a good foundation, and, you know, they weren't getting blown away, and now they're in a position where all those points have added up, and um, they, they're in the playoff mix, and a lot of people have been saying, like... <laughs> If there was every year that could be Orlando's year, it might be this one, which I think is maybe a little bit more pressure than they need. (laughs) Um, But I'm I'm excited. I I love it. I'm all about it. It's a a huge moment for the club. They've got fantastic supporters around them, and uh, it's been a lot of difficult seasons. I know they haven't been in MLS that long, but (laughs) it probably feels like an eternity for a lot of their supporters. (laughs) So very happy for them. Red Bulls defending starting to look a little bit stronger too, so some good news for Red Bulls fans. It too. was a, it was this game that got them in, and that's the thing where you could almost be critical of of them for conceding, um, which was kind of my thought. But hearing you, the way that you describe it, it is true that until the ninety sixth minute, it was kind of like one of those, you know, uh, we'll talk about Toronto being the same way in terms of just like. Uh, a opportunistic one nothing not too or uncontroversial result for them heading into the playoffs and then some weird stuff happens but until that point yeah. it was a pretty good it's one still mls and, <laughs> and they got the job even though they they drew they they achieved what they needed to which is to to clinch the the playoff spot the the goal was on the corner the ball is played into the area and bounces back out into almost the border between the attacking third and the middle third. Um, and the player who gets it, then just shumps it forward to uh, Brian White, who mm-hmm. turns and fires just, I, I'm sure he must have like been able to have eyes on it, but it really just felt to me like I'm going to turn around and no matter what I see, I'm going to shoot it. And we'll just see how that goes. There's a ball there, so help me God. <laughs> Which is like not not to use empty soccer analogies, but like that's the the striker's role, right? Is is that killer instinct? That's the thing that separates great strikers from just sort of meh and and middling ones. Mm-hmm. Is somebody like just that instinct to pounce on literally anything in the box and just put a boot through it, or a, a toe, or a knee, or anything. Um, and and for me, that's that's kind of what you see in that play is, and we've seen from White, um, you know, and obviously a player under development still, but that's a great instinct to be able to have to to do that. Um, another uh, another match that was uh, had a lot in it, despite 
going nowhere in terms of being a draw was uh, Houston, Minnesota. <laughs> the, the the lead into that of despite going nowhere really sets you up well, for a, a I'm gonna soccer be, match. I'm going to be unkind to You're Houston to say that going nowhere in an entertaining way is like the like almost a description of their last two seasons. I think that's part of the rebranding exercise. <laughs> Sorry, Houston. Um, but this is a this is a game where you you have two separate like, like essentially everything changes at halftime. You you start off with Minnesota scoring two in the first half. Kai Kamara with a little um, little flick on that sets up Robin Lode who uh, who makes a great run and. and Passes to Ethan Finley for the opener. 20 minutes later, Finley again uh, on the end of a perfect ball forward from Ja'Cory Hayes. Um, and then in in that half, you have Mauro Benotis with a, with an effort that, um, that hits the crossbar in the first half, but mostly it was Minnesota's half. And then they make the change uh, for Lasseter for Hanson at halftime. And... In addition to that, it really felt that they came, they turned it up coming out of the break. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately you had um, essentially like the their first goal is a four on two breakaway and it's played uh, the, with the ball eventually played back to Memo Rodriguez at the top of the box. Um, and the, I thought this was a, was an offside call but uh Hansen who gets subbed in at halftime ends up popping in a rebound to draw things level. Uh but Houston also hit the woodwork again. So essentially they whatever the shift was from Tab Ramos at the half, it definitely changed the flow of the game. Well I say I think we've seen this from Houston a lot. I mean not just this season, but that that continues to be their story is that Houston is going to score goals like that. They can do that for sure. It's that they dig themselves into these holes that then they have to get out of. And while it's great to be able to do that and get a draw, um, it, it's there's so little separating team teams in the West. And this game kind of highlights it that these two teams who on paper you might feel are evenly matched are only four points apart in the standings, but the reason why Minnesota is fifth and Houston <laughs> is third from the last is because Minnesota doesn't dig themselves these giant holes that they have to dig themselves out of. That's correct. Um, they've, Minnesota scored 28 goals. Houston scored has scored 27. However, Minnesota's only given up 23, and Houston has given up 32. Woo! So, um, like, it continues to be the case for Houston that exactly half of the picture is in place the, the pick the part of the picture where the goals don't go in really needs to be addressed to see them get into the playoffs and have any real chance of doing much and and that feels if it, it feels kind of far away for houston like it, it really feels like so much effort is put into this this fast attacking style of play that the defending part is almost like an afterthought for them can I hit you with another uh, entertaining 2-2 draw? Yeah. Chicago, Sporting Kansas City. Why was that so entertaining? I think that, it, well, I mean, like, I'm sure that for Sporting Kansas City, they found it traumatic. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but 
Because I thought that they quite they played quite well here, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know the the Eric Hurtado goal at thirty five minutes um, was a great uh, was a great work from him, but also from the team in general in terms of um, being able to dispossess the other team around the halfway line and then uh, start a great break and, and rely on him to, to have that run to make it to, to make it work. But uh, I was really impressed by that goal. Um, there was a goal given to Chicago where Amadou Dia clears off the line, but it's said that is because like when he goes to start his jump to, to clear the ball, the goal off the line, um, his foot is well past the goal line. And so mm-hmm. they decide that the ball has crossed the line because it's crossed the line to meet his foot. But his foot moves when he goes to kick it. And I think that if you, there's short of Hawkeye, there's no great way to to slice and dice it. But the, the yeah. camera angles that I saw kind of made it seem like the goal is hovering over the line at the time that... Uh, that the ball is kicked. Yeah. At least in part. And it is a, it is a tough one. Um, Gadi Kinda gets free at the far post on a corner, your favorite kind of MLS goal. Love it. Um, and, uh, and everything is sort of, um, everything is set up for a big three points for Sporting Kansas City in the Western Conference table. When on ninety plus five again in this match day, Mihailovic uh, scores uh, to give mm-hmm. um, Seattle the draw. It's it's sort of like a I wrote down ah ha, ha, ha what the ball is pinballed forward on a volley from half, uh, and then finds an attacker behind the line, and the keeper the keeper barrels through to try and stop, but is not able to either get a hand on the ball or stop the attacker. The attacker just sort of yeah. uh, slams it in. And signs of life from Chicago once again, right when it matters most, sort of grinding out uh, a couple of gritty points. I know it hasn't put them in the perfect playoff position, but, uh, you know, it's it's starting to, who knows, right? <laughs> like I really do feel a sense of, like, once the playoffs be- begin... We can throw out whatever happened this season, and it is just going to be like another MLS's back tournament where there's going to be some really interesting results, and it's it's really interesting to see Chicago um, coming into form. Unfortunate for Sporting Kansas City, who just defensively have been much better this season, but still seem to be coughing up more goals than usual, and I'm sure more than Peter Vermees would like. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the, the week, they got a big result against Nashville, um, it, it's tons of early pressure from Nashville. Um, 15 minutes in, a corner finds Zimmerman, who makes this tremendous leap, and he scores. Um, then there's a uh, a second yellow. Nashville goes down to 10, 10 men. Hurtado actually nearly scores in the 70, 75th minute or so. Oh, Gerso scored before that. Yes. So it's 1-1 at the point where Hurtado comes on. And then it's just this long looping ball over the top that Hurtado decides, I'm going to have I that. I love it. And just one times it with the most perfect touch that just sends the announcers insane. 
I love it. Just like, you know, definitely a candidate for goal of the year. So and good. And Hurtado is just there making it look so easy. And then he scores in the next game as well. So I'm here on, Hurtado, I'm here on Hurtado Island. I never sold my timeshare. <laughs> never give up the timeshare on Hurtado Island. Yes. Uh, it, it was... Um, it was unfortunate for Nashville, who then went on to beat Houston 3-1 and Dallas 3-0. Um, and as you are saying, are, are putting together a tidy set of results for themselves. This is part of the issue for Chicago, where if I look at the... Um, uh, if I look at sort of the the bubble teams, in a, in a, yeah. in a, in an eight point, in an eight point zone, you have New York city, New York, Red Bulls, Nashville, Montreal, Chicago, Atlanta. And I would say if you have to pick two out of any of those that will be able to car- uh, carry their form through to the conclusion of the season, um, it's just, there are too many good, there are too many good candidates in there for me to make Chicago one of them. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm obviously going to be putting my money on the team that's only allowed 17 goals, <laughs> which, so Nashville is sitting in what? One, two, three, four, five, they're six, a, seven, eight, nine. They're a point out. Ninth. They're a point behind the Red Bulls in, in eighth. In eighth place. Sorry. Um, and they have the same goals against as both Toronto and Philadelphia. So, Yes, Nashville has struggled at times to score goals. However, that's happening now. And as we've said all season, this is probably the the safer formula to follow if you're an expansion club, which is like, (laughs) really, if you're any club in MLS, is figure out the defense part first and build from there. Because if you're not scoring, but you've got a really strong defense, then fine. You can weather the storm. And that's why Nashville has kind of always stayed in the mix a bit here. Um the goals will eventually come that part of it it can be easier to iron out Mm -hmm. um but don't be losing all of those games where you're not scoring and so nashville (laughs) has just put themselves in such a fantastic position i mean i love this just six wins six losses six ties but only 17 goals conceded which is i mean as (laughs) just incredible Um, as you point out this is gonna be this is gonna be an entertaining playoff and you know if if teams get a chance to rest uh, it, there are going yeah. to be. I I do think that this is, as we talked about when we talked about Toronto and Seattle, that this is a playoff series where before the Toronto Seattle final anything can happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. I and I think mm-hmm. even though we even though we joke about that, I think that there's if you uh, if you just make it in in as the seventh place team. You still have a ticket to the to the dance. You still get to uh, you still get to participate, and I think that anybody that's in there has a shot this year more than ever. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I really do feel like it's going to be pretty wide open once once the playoffs begin, um, and of course the teams that secure a buy, it, it almost sort of makes you wonder: is that yes, they get a chance to rest, but also kind of start to wonder. Um, you know, depending on who they end up playing, is maybe a team they haven't faced much this year. That's true. Um, so it, it's it's gonna be an interesting one. Um, among the uh, the teams that are looking very interesting, I quite thought that uh, that New England Philadelphia was an interesting game. The 
How yeah. does how does a team that look as good as New England looked there to start go two down to start off? I think. Yeah. Um, with you had a, a they conceded an own goal from Farrell, which we've we have seen some issues with teams uh, in own goals where essentially sometimes it'll feel like a a, a luck of the draw when a, a a defender just slides in there, but I yeah. feel that this must have been a little more than luck in terms of being poorly timed. Like, well, it's, it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I'm sure as soon as he slides in for us, like, no, that was not the right thing to do. <laughs> but in the moment, you're just trying to get a, uh, your body, a limb in the way of the ball and preventing the cross. And that's, what's drilled into your head. But to go lunging in with zero control feet, like you're facing your own goal. You've got to be way more sure. You're not just sliding in to block that cross. You need to be swinging a boot to kick it away from the goal. That's a great move um, if timed properly. But it's not. It's not just bad timing. It's just not the right technique. <laughs> as a defender, as a center back, you don't go lunging towards your own goal with both feet because it, if you strike the ball, you have no control over what part of your foot it's coming off. What's happening so, next? <laughs> yeah, like. You you want to plan a little bit further ahead than just ball lunge stop ball, um, but I I get it. It's a forgivable defending error. Um, I think Farrell knows that as soon as his foot touches the ball, that he just really should have probably let that one fly through the box. And then the goal, uh, the next goal from Fontana uh, was a great something that I thought was interesting in terms of Anthony Fontana really. If you think of where he's standing um, at a real tight angle when he sort of chips the keeper almost, uh, but yeah. from a distance out, it's like there is a very it's like small... a really slow version of the Hurtado goal. It's true. <laughs> a very small sliver of like like where the window is, where you can, where you can cram a ball into the goal without thinking that the goalkeeper is going to be able to jump to grab it. Well, and I'm kind of miffed on this one because I think usually we're pretty good about like picking up on the sleepers and and finding the players that were like, you know, this person is good. And then somewhere usually around this time in the season, people are like, hey, did you know about this player? They're really good. And we're like, we've been saying this. We usually get at least a couple of those. But Fontana's got six goals in eight games. And admittedly, I was like, Fontana, that name sounds familiar. He plays in MLS. And just had no idea <laughs> that he was quietly uh, doing this work here for Philadelphia. So well, they've now uh, put out I mean, their what a, what a player. They've now put out the uh, the twenty two the the twenty two under twenty two, and I believe he's yeah, I believe he's in there. Um, yeah, the which I mean for for Philadelphia to have two players in that um, it, it just shows what type of squad they're building. Of course the. Had Aronson been transferred the last time we talked? Aronson, yes, yes. We're we're yeah, in yeah, we we're in the middle of the Aronson goodbye tour. Is is yeah. is what's taking place? Um, in this game, uh, I'm double checking. New England made 22 shots off target with eight on goal. There were they had so much going forward. Teal Bunbury had fired this absolute cannon right into the area. Which to me seems like a goal that is very aware of the current offside rule. 
uh, or, mm-hmm. or a shot very aware of, of dynamics around offside of the uh, or sorry handballs in the penalty area. Um, yeah. The you had uh, Lee Win with two absolute scorchers, one from a free kick that are mm-hmm. just palmed aside by the Andre Andre Blake. Um, and in the end, it's Teon Buchanan with a goal uh, that gets New England in distance. But again, they hit off as you as you mentioned in another game. Um, they were in a hole that they could not climb out of, despite being um, really interesting uh, on the attack. Absolutely. Well, and I mean. Yeah, what I love about the, this New England side is they've got a bit of everything, right? And I, I like that um, uh, that there's, like, the right kinds of chances being taken. I mean, to bring Lee Wynn back into the fold right now was such a fantastic move. And I love, too, the comment of just, as, uh, I think Bruce Arena, Arena was like, I was surprised he was available, so I just bought him. <laughs> <laughs> like, why the hell is Lee Wynn not with a club right now or, like, out of contract? Or he um, wasn't – it wasn't that he was out of contract. I think that it was just um, – I think Miami's still figuring stuff out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And they were just like, um, oh, yeah, we can he, spare he, this they, guy. We want – we want we're, – we're looking for Federico Iguain. We want Tam or Gam. Yeah. I don't think there's Tam anymore. But, I mean, Lee Wynn is, is, has always been an underestimated player. He fit in well with New England when he was there the last time. And it seems that he's picked up exactly where he left off. The number of times you heard his name in the, the last two games he's... Well, the first two games he's played for New England. Mm-hmm. He's just... He's everywhere and involved in every play. And then our old buddy Kakuta Mane brought back into the fold as well for New England. Who just caused all kinds of problems for Montreal as well. Um just you know the pace continues to be there it's it's really interesting to watch a player that you know we saw and cheered on as a kid and now he's mid-career and bounced all over the place but you know certainly has put some interesting tools in his back pocket and has brought those on display for new england so new england just for me continues to be the one of those teams where who knows what could happen um they've got such incredible talent on the team they've got uh, a really great mix of young and sort of middle middle soccer aged and older players uh i i i think that they're they're going to cause some some damage in the playoffs still I, I think that they're they're a more complete team than than people give them credit for i think that makes sense and i think that mane is better suited as one of a few different options in a team especially at this part of his career but like you know then than being this this allows him to do his thing um without too much pressure i was trawling around the revs hashtags the other day because i was uh i heard somebody say that they were also doing a rebranding but that might that might have just been a bit that somebody was doing (laughs) that might have just i somebody's somebody's doing mls tiktoks uh, and they're very entertaining. No, no jokes in 2020. I think we agreed <laughs> till the end of the year. Don't joke about a thing happening because we'll just be like, oh, sure. Sure, it could happen. But I was looking in the hashtags and I saw people saying nice things about Kakuta Bane and it reminded me of when people here were saying nice things about him. So it, uh, it gave me the warm and fuzzies. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad they're liking the player. Yeah. Um... 
I mean, the rest of it was all kind of like a mixed bag of results, and, and I feel like games that were maybe lopsided but didn't ultimately tell us all that much, like San Jose Creaming Galaxy for nothing. Sure, great <laughs> for San Jose. Continuing their winning ways, but for me, a far more important game was this nil-nil draw with Seattle, which is a great result, but was arguably the worst game that was played in the last two weeks that just looked like two teams so exhausted just kind of running at each other. But I felt like um, San Jose had had some really clear chances in this one and, and maybe uh, were a little unfortunate not to come away with all three points, but even a ragged Seattle can hold on for a, for a draw. Although they're currently... Last time I checked, anyway, they're playing Portland currently, and it's 1-0 for Portland. They they have pivoted where San Jose have, where there was a time not just a couple of games ago where they looked like one of the league's sorriest sides, and now they're in a playoff spot. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> what a time to be alive. <laughs> uh, I love it. San Jose just keeping things interesting for everyone. Now Galaxy is is at the bottom of the table. They've had some rough times with Chicharito. Um, they... Well, and there was this big hullabaloo made about him not starting against Vancouver. And it took a few days after the LA Galaxy won that game, won a game of soccer, before people were like, Hey, maybe the reason why Galaxy won is because they didn't start Chicharito. <laughs> and yes, he was on the pitch when they scored. Um, but, oh, there, there's just some real cruel gifts circulating of that poor man from this game. Um, it, it's, it really is bordering on, like, the biggest MLS DP flop of all time. Um, it, it, it just... It, it baffles me that they haven't been able to figure something out with him. That, you know, to, to make him, um, to sort of isolate him up top when that's never been the Galaxy's strong point. <laughs> like, Galaxy get goals by sending numbers at you and, you know, creating plays out of nothing, scoring on set pieces. But they've never been a team that just has a striker sit between center backs that they just loft to, or certainly not in um, recent memory. I know that you could do that with Ibrahimovic, but <laughs> he obviously could score from anywhere. That's the point, right? He's not, he's not Ibrahimovic. They, they took him off. Exactly. In the, in the San Jose game, this was the, I think the the quote that got people's attention is that he, um, he came, Chicharito came off on the 54th minute for Efron Alvarez and Guillermo Barrochelado said, it's because I wanted to add offense to the team. Which is, like, such a dagger about a player who has the the hype behind him of being sort of like a major... It was supposed to be the Zlatan replacement. Because he had had success in Europe. And he is a good player. But it's just like... He's a great player. To... I think to rely solely on him, I'm sure it also well, we, really didn't help at all. Like, he's probably one of the people that was really negatively affected by um, not going... Or, I mean, like, not by the by pandemic conditions in general. He was right not to go to the tournament. But, yeah, it... Unfortunately, I think that that... It, like, I feel that there has been some element of him not gelling. 
Um, in, in any major signing in MLS usually requires a little time to, to work out anyways. Of course. And, and every player I, I think deserves that, that chance. But for me, it's really hard to imagine a situation where Chicharito is here next year. Um, it, it's just such an expensive player to have on your roster who's delivered so little. And, and I don't at all think it's all his fault, but many people pointed this out when the signing was announced that he's not the right profile of player that the galaxy needs. Um, he is a great player, but he doesn't really fit into the system of what LA was trying to do. And that seems to be coming to fruition in their gameplay because when he's on the pitch, it seems like there's, it's more of maybe a mental thing of like, okay, Chicharito's up there. So we have to try to play around him. You barely hear his name when he's on the pitch uh-huh. because there's no service to him. So it's not like, you know, L.A. is conceding a ton of possession by trying to get the ball to Chicharito because they certainly don't seem to be doing that for how little he gets the actual ball. And then when he's not there, they can free up and play a little bit more as a team. But, I mean, for me, this is uh, still a managerial thing, which is like, well, like, change your tactics then. Yeah. Like... <laughs> Why are you expecting this this thing to happen that's clearly not going to happen? I think we have seen moments where Chicharito sits a little bit deeper um, and is playing almost as like his own number 10 and be more involved in the play and be more influential in the attack, even though it hasn't resulted in goals. Because there have been periods where uh, there's been lots of praise for his his attacking style of play and just his ability that's helped the team out. But if you're going to stick him up top and, and just wait for, for a ball to come in, we've seen this in MLS. He doesn't, you have to be tall for that kind of thing to work. That's a dear Krylak <laughs> no. You're not RSL. You know, like if, if you're wanting to get it into Chicharito's feet in tight spaces, uh, you, you've got to be able to make that happen. And we've just seen so little of it. Uh, part of me that kind of is confounded by LA's, move for him in the first place was that we've also seen him at clubs very similar in setup to galaxy and seen him not do well there so it's like well yeah he's a great player and he's proven on all these levels it's like yeah for teams that play nothing like the galaxy in leagues nothing like mls so no part of me felt like oh he's gonna come in here and blow the barn doors off i certainly thought he'd have 10 goals by now though it's MLS, LA Gal, MLS forwards in general, but especially uh, LA Galaxy purchases are business plans as much as they are uh, sporting decisions. Yeah, and yeah, I'm sure the the jersey sales have more than made up for that that very expensive goal. Um, in other leagues in North America, the USL Championship. Um, conference finals this weekend, there a, a considerable um, hubbub was raised over the fact that uh, Phoenix Rising, who you may have remembered from the incident with San Diego Loyal and the um, the forfeit, uh, the USL announced that if they won their semifinal, that they would host uh, the championship final by dint of their regular season record, which the only mm-hmm. reason why they would have the best regular season record in that situation is because of the three points from the forfeit. Uh, 
and yeah. because of a uh, the the outcry against this, essentially, I think Phoenix has said we're going to decline to host if we're in that position because we don't want to benefit right. from that, which is which is great. But between that and uh, and what seems to be uh, people's perception, or, or well, not perception. I saw the video. A, a handball in the the round of sixteen game against Sac Republic, uh, just a cursed yeah. season for for a team that I don't think anybody had ill will against before this. No, no, and it's such a, a strange position to be in, um, where you still have games to play and you're in the playoff mix and you're. You know, you need to win and have fan support, but you're kind of the still the villain in the league. Um, and even if you had maybe lived down some of what went down with San Diego, the very clear handball win that saw them through, that then the referees in USL were like, well, yeah, no, that's a, a clear error and shouldn't have happened. Anyway, <laughs> and just like, okay, well, that... <laughs> All the wrong things happened, and we're still just going to let the results stand. Every time I look at, I, I, every time I watch a league that doesn't have VAR, it's just like I know VAR has issues, but every time something terrible like that happens, and I'm just like, you're just moving past this. Yeah. yeah. Um, in NWSL news, we had today uh, Crystal Dunn has been. Involved in a three-team trade from North Carolina to Portland. Um, right. Joining her uh, her boyfriend, who is a trainer with the Thorns. Um, I love the 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 mechanics of this deal. Or husband, not boyfriend. I love the mechanics of this deal where uh, the the courage traded done to the OL Reign. For a goalkeeper and allocation money, and the rain traded done to the Thorns for allocation money, for lots more allocation money over a couple of years, and a roster spot. So, I I've always am just fascinated by how this phone call goes down, where it's like, uh, somebody I don't know whether it's like we're. The Thorns saying, well, we're ready to pay a lot of money for Crystal Dunn, but we really don't want that money to go to North Carolina. <laughs> or what? I don't... What I'm curious about is how O.L. Rain ended up I in this situation. I think the teams have lackeys who have to look through massive textbooks of, you know, or PDFs of league rules and transfer things, and they're the ones making the calls, and the managers are just like, I don't know, figure it out. We'd like Crystal Dunn, please. <laughs> We'll send money wherever we need to. I would love to be a team and be like, of course, I'll trade you Crystal Dunn. We don't have Crystal Dunn, but I'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> <Yeah>. trade. <laughs> you do know that she does not play here, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, we know. We know. Which is why we're talking to you. <laughs> um, also, Nutty. also the CONCACAF League, uh, in CONCACAF League play uh, for Gypsy, is I believe uh, beating Municipal Limeno at the end of ninety minutes, two uh, one. Damn! Uh, despite having uh, incurred a red card in their away match. Now, end of nine. I don't know if end of ninety means that there's still injury time or not, but I'm looking at the live score as I say this. So, um, and we got a new NWSL team. Oh, that's and right. 
what a what a what a what a time to be alive. Um, and what a cast of characters that owns this team, which has almost been more of the news item than the team existing, but just a, an ongoing list of uh, largely sports celebrities. Um, but NWSL now has Angel City will be joining the league. That's great. Um, I think that the the enthusiasm for the people that are involved in the supporters, the the ownership group, the enthusiasm uh, in the supporters group. I'm trying to find out what I saw a tweet about the supporters group that is formed in their logo. Um, mm. This really seems like it's going to be a, a, a big positive for the league. Yeah. And I mean, and it's great to see the excitement they'll begin play in 2022, but to already see so much support there. And certainly with, their competition this year, seeing the, you know the massive ratings that they had when almost every other sport was way down in the ratings, NWSL, mm. um, and massive, massive growth. Um, yeah, I, I feel like there's a ton of people that still just you know are, are really missing out on an opportunity um, for a league that's going to you know maybe not explode, but um, I, the, there's going to continue to be new clubs being added and the profile is only going to go up. So it, it's exciting to see, especially in, you know, the North American soccer just landscape is so fragmented and leagues come and go and disappear. Nobody's quite sure which league is above which other one. It's nice to actually hear a story about new teams coming in and a league being successful and not having to fold or having longstanding teams go under. Um, and NWSL is trending in all the right directions, um, which is is great to see because it's been a, a lot of hard work that's gone gone unnoticed for a very long. I time. think that we all, um, I think that we all, in in a time that's so tough, like this is right now, um, and I don't know which sports teams you would call small businesses, but it's like uh, as small or independent businesses, it's a really tough time. Um, and I think that when you have a league that's like NWSL or Campial or something like this, I think that we, once something is established, it's just like, oh yeah, this will be here at the end of it, right? But like the XFL right. wasn't, I guess it got bought for a dollar by The Rock, but it's like, I think that <laughs> it is, these things can be more tenuous than we realize in, therefore the, the continued growth is not something that we should take for granted, but celebrate that 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 it only must have happened through extreme and intense amount of efforts or amounts Absolutely. of effort. The the one opportunity th that I think was missed here is that Natalie Portman joined the ownership group, which is great, and obviously she lives in L.A. That's totally fine. But <laughs> had she invested in the Portland Thorns and lobbied to have them change to the Portland Thorns, I think <laughs> we would have had Portman. something. But <laughs> yeah. the Natalie Portman Thorns, come on. It just works on so many levels. I am uh, I'm trying to find the the L.A. supporters group, but they're great. They have the... Uh, in the same way that the LA, the uh, the Angel City logo is the um, is the inverted triangle, they've got uh, an outline logo of their own where uh, it looks like a traditional um, sort of quartered um, circle, but two of the lines, two of the parts of the uh, 
the quarters are meant to represent the pride flag and the trans flag. And it's really good. Yeah. And if I only knew the name, if I'm looking in groups, but if I only knew the name of this, of this, of this, uh, supporters group, um, but we have, we have seen so much that, um, even though it is celebrity led, and that's one reason why it's being given attention, like, if you watched an LAFC broadcast that had fans in it in the last like year or two, the NWSL to LA banner was like constant presence. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, um, <laughs> it feels like it's so funny because it's the sheer number of games that happen between episodes where I'm sort of like, it's been a year since we've talked to anyone, but no, it's just 30 odd games and change that have happened. So by the time we talk to you next, more will have happened and we'll have a, a, a much clearer playoff picture probably, but huh, until oh, rebellion wait. 99, who could be found on Twitter at NWSL underscore LA. There you go. Don't sleep on it, folks. Get in there. And until we go to that next round of, well, the, the games have already started as we speak. Uh, where can we find you? You online? can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. Where can we find you online? You can find me online at Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at That's So MLS.com and on Apple Podcasts, wherever else you subscribe to podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Please do. And until next time, if you are playing away in Central America, consider not getting sent off. Hey folks, um, we found out just after recording this episode that Daryl Grove, uh, the co-host of the Total Soccer Show, um, and a well-loved human in the North American soccer circle, and really globally um, passed away unfortunately so we just wanted to acknowledge it and send our condolences to to the show and to his family <laughs>